other kind of examples that we've walked through uh, over life, and hopefully some handles. Uh, but just maybe before we start, I'm not quite sure how we will start or where we will start. Might change a little bit um, to what we planned. But in that in that time of worship now, uh, that last song I think that we did, I was so impressed upon me the building our house, building our life on a rock versus building our, our life on the sand. And I said to Ross, it felt suddenly just appeared so black and white to me, which is right. I mean, some parts of scripture are very black and white, and some are very gray, you know? And, um, but it just, my sense was like, if we're building our life, thanks, Mark. So I was saying, building our house on the, on the rock, yo, it just like struck me how, you know, we either build our life on the rock, on Jesus Christ, or we build our sand. It's one of the two. We can't have like a little bit of, you know, the sand creeping in because the foundations have to be strong when you build a house. That's the picture. And so if any part of us uh, today, if there's any part of us that is building on anything outside of Christ, we're not going to make it into the more that he's leading us into. We're going to miss it. And so we're going to reconsider everything is everything, you know, going from this place is everything built on Christ. You know, our finances, our trust for a new job, Tyler, I trust that many I know are facing potential, should I change work, you know, is there a move on the cards? Uh, potentially there's someone in your life, a woman or a man, and there's potential of, you know, joining together. Every single one of these decisions have to be built on the rock. If there's any sand, there's any taking ownership in my own strength, that's faulty foundation, and it will, will not last the test of time. So I'm really, really impressed on you. We need to make sure that everything is built in the rock. Okay. Yeah, I just want to... Mandy, you know, she did a lot of work with this team. The one of the work that Mandy had on Wednesday night for our worship time before, when we were praying Wednesday night, where she had this picture of a tractor, like a lone tractor. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Plowing like a piece of land. And the word, the encouragement was like, don't, like, don't get discouraged that it's not like a massive tractor or machine or whatever that's able to do it. Take large portions of the field or the ground, but be, in a sense, content. With this fact that this one tractor just needs to keep on doing what it's going to do, right? Is that one of those lines? And then as we were worshipping on Wednesday evening, God added more to me personally. And what I saw with the field was not one tractor, but a whole lot of tractors, little ones lined up next to each other, taking that piece of ground together, and they were in like an arrow formation. You know, so they were moving forward like that. And I thought, I thought there was some of that that will maybe come to this morning. Is it something like this? It seems like the Lord's wanting to align us in so that we're able to stay kind of on track, um, following the Lord, the things that He's doing, and yeah, and together take the ground in the next place. Each day, my little tractor will stay. Yeah, I love that picture. Thanks, Lenny and Ross, for sharing. And, uh, I thought maybe for to kick off is to really uh, throw a question towards Ross. So 
Maybe to set a framework first is that many of you are new to us, uh, even today. I know a couple of our newer guys are away, but several of you uh, haven't maybe gone through as many foundational truths and building blocks as we have over the years, you know. And so very simply, to look at uh, three things probably today is uh, what, do, what, do, what do we do as elders, fathers, or shepherds in the house of God? What do we actually do? Why are we here? Why do we seem to take the leading role most of the time and, and, and not someone else? And why isn't it, why isn't it just this mishmash of just everybody? So why is, there, why is there leadership? And then looking a little bit at the field of churches, so just picking up for the last three Thursdays, especially the first Thursday that Andrew taught on, three weeks back, the first teaching of Timothy training, if you haven't seen those three Thursday nights, please go onto YouTube and find it and go through it. I've started going through the second time, and there are a load of things I didn't pick up on the first on the night. It's just there's so much quality coming through there. Um, so looking at the field of churches that was touched on. So we each in a field, and why is that? How does it work? And what is 412? We throw 412 around a lot. Charles Chen is the church you're in. And 412 is the field you're in, and some of you might be like, yeah, what is that? Like, what even is a field? Why 412? You know? So we'll touch on that, but not too much. And then biblical unity is always the key one. And that's the picture of the tractors. Like, you can get unity in the world sense, and you can get unity in the biblical worldview sense. Jesus looks at unity in a certain way in the world, so we can get confused what unity even is, let alone we need to fight for it. Like, yeah. What is it? You know? So starting off with a <clears throat> Hopefully get through all three things, otherwise we'll do a part two sometime. So what do elders do in the local church? And maybe just to pick apart a little bit of what elders are, maybe we'll ask God. I'm very distracted looking at Beth, Mama Beth with that mama. Oh my word, that's the best picture ever, you guys. Um, okay, so what do elders do? As my unsafe family think elders do nothing but drink coffee. Okay, so that's what they think I do all day. So I constantly have this interaction. But even yesterday, I was hanging out with some of my family and we were doing slides down there for a party with my cousin's uh, son's birthday. And they're like, what do you do all day and all week? Such a fascinating conversation. Um, I mean, so obviously within the life of the church, when you think about the tractors as well, uh, one of the roles I think of, of elders is to ensure that the church is heading the right direction. So it's men that God raised up and called within the body to perform a specific function, not lording it over. We're not supposed to stand here and make you feel like you're not important. No, elders are supposed to serve and bring each person into what God has for them, right? To be equipped to, to be discipled. And so, and to bring on a portion of scripture in Acts 20, where Paul has a meeting with some of the elders from Ephesus, in that portion of scripture in Acts 20, he uses three Greek words interchangeably to describe the role or the function of elders. I know Joe knows what they are. Joe, why don't you tell me that? Yes, yes. It's just one So those three words are presbyteros, so like think of Presbyterian church. Um, so presbyteros is really the role of the elder. It's a it's it's kind of a defining word. The elders are called to carry responsibility within God's house for God's children. Alright, that is our primary function. That's what we've been called to do. Um, 
And then underneath that are two other words. You've got the word presbyteros, and then to one side you've got the word poimain. That was meant to Greek word. And then the other word is episkopos. So let's start with episkopos. Now what's it called? What, what do you think of episkopos? You think of a periscope, right? And so elders, we call to have like a submarine. I know you are. I know you're thinking about the ladies right now. I'm thinking about the ladies. But most likely, I'm going to try to pretend it's the closest thing to like that. If you're thinking of like a submarine cruising like, up towards the periscope, looking around to check the danger. Or as Andrew's often taught, it's like imagine you like hacking your way through the bush and you just can't see where you're going. The role of elders is to climb, is to find the tallest tree. Climb the tallest tree possible and look over and go, oh, that's where we're supposed to be going. We've been going that way. And to redirect the church in the direction it should be going. So it's an oversight, oversight role, oversight type role over the church, and that means over people's lives as well. Because we are the church, the church is not just a place, the church is people. Okay, so oversight. And then uh, most importantly, uh, really, this is because this is the relational aspect and what this man is so good at, is point man is to be a shepherd. Really well, loves people. So the role of the shepherd is to love. And it's not just to love you so you feel good, it's to love you and to mourn who you're called to be in God. And so it's a relationship-based calling. It comes from God and it's worked out amongst people in the life of the church. Um, so that's really what we're called to do. Does that answer your question? And uh, so obviously, when I came on to being an elder, it was 2011, I think that my mom has got, and Bryce's father, Jess's father-in-law, Dion, helped with Dion and Kim were here ministering beautifully a few months ago. Dion took me for coffee, because I think my, my, my eyes were as big as the cartoon characters and the headlamps, and I was like, I'm, I'm not made, I'm not made for this, you know, this is, this is too large. But seeing what elders have carried, and, and Dion was, Dion was just a typical father. He's a great father to younger men who are in the faith. And he's like, yeah, it's, uh, you have your hairy moments, but most of it is wonderful. Like, okay, thanks, Dion. <laughs> and I remember him sitting down, I just still remember the three Ds. <clears throat> and, and basically, your role, because you're going to get very, very busy doing a number of things. But actually, that's not helpful for you guys, because you need to get busy with a whole lot of things. And our role, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we'll get to Ephesians 4, 11 later. But our role is to take each and every one of you out of your chair and get you fully running in the things that God has put on your life. Our role is not to do everything. It's to oversee and encourage and empower and enable and send and help you go in the things of God. So that's the, 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 three, the three Ds I'll get to now. Is, um, first one is, is let's say, uh, discipline doctrine and direction. So direction, Ross touched on a little bit of the oversight. Because of the eyes to see and their gift to see, we can focus on direction. Direction for the body and where we are going. And that will, that gift will also grow as elders grow. We have further sight and therefore more direction and God will give more uh, and enlarge your territory and your responsibility as you're faithful with the direction that you give. But then it comes down to doctrine. Part of oversight is also looking out for false teachers, right? Because we know that um, large portions of the New Testament were written, those letters were largely written, 
to, to speak to the elders and the, the leaders of the church and say, watch out for those that are coming in and uh, perverting the truth, the grace that I taught, that Jesus taught, that Paul taught, perversions of that grace and, uh, and watching out for, for basically for those teachers. And funnily enough, most of the time those teachers came from within. So it would be one of us that would go off track. And uh, I, there's somebody actually currently now that, I know, that I've seen just because of Facebook. He's in another church. And I just noticed by his Facebook threads, I know what's got you, right? I, I know what's going on in your heart. I've seen that so often. Licentious grace. So he's gone on the far side of the topic. God is gracious and loving and kind. But he's gone so far this way that now he'll say things like the fear of God. You should never fear a loving father. And we know that Sometimes the fear of God is very healthy for us because it leads us uh, to a place of repentance and there's a reverence and an awe about that fear. Not, hey, I'm scared of my dad with a big stick. But there's help in understanding both tensions. But it's so simple. And this man was preaching the word of God and leading the upcoming leader. And suddenly, someone infiltrated him. Someone's, you know, brought something. And, and, and fortunately now, um, some of our um, strong teachers in the body are going to be able to sit down, try to bring this person back to uh, alignment. It so quickly happens, right? Yeah. So that's why doctrine needs to be a, a very big part of our of our role, and then discipline as well. And so maybe we'll touch we'll touch on a couple of practical examples on what that looks like. And just to say, when you hear the word discipline, most people may hear discipline as like uh, God says, it also means discipling. Uh, discipline is always the end result. Of process. Um, so another word is apostle. Another gift in the church and in leadership is an apostle. Apostolic field. 412 is an apostolic field. It's not just a field for fun and games. or It's also not a field of churches that's put together just because we're friends with those guys and girls. Okay? We, just, we like you in England, so we'll just be with you guys. Or we once met at like a network function. And because we networked well and we got on with one another, and we're just going to stay in the network. You know, as you have networks in the marketplace, uh, you know, networks through LinkedIn or through conferences, and you'd meet at a conference and you'd network with those people in the industry or an industry similar to you, and you'd have a partnership in a sense, but in, in a partnership like 412, it's very different. And it's because of the apostolic gift. And so I thought to ask uh, Ross to touch on uh, what? How do elders work with apostolic gifts? So, how do eldership teams work with a Will Nere, who we pray for, is recognised as an apostle, Andrew uh, Andrew Sini, and others in, in that team? How do we? Don't don't we have authority here? How does that work? Well, we do have authority here, but um, this is where hopefully you can do for a local church in the sense that we are. This provides safety for you because. Um, yeah, we have elders do have authority within the local church, but biblically, local elders should always be prayed into office and released by the apostolic, and should always have a relationship with a person or a group of people who, would cons- who we would consider as carrying that office or that gift. Okay, so that's what we, in our context, it was primarily Andrew, primarily Will, Brad, that you would have heard on Thursday evening, and others. The reality, though, is, and Andrew said within our eldership meeting, that that's the relationship, it's based on relationships. 
And so you can have elder within Josh here go, Andrew, I don't see you as you know, this apostolic team as apostles anymore, and attempt to walk away with that church. That could happen. Very unlikely to us in our field and the way we understand and work together, but it does happen. And so the relationship is not one which is forced by like a denomination which goes like, no, this is a particular type of church and it is mine from the top down. But the apostolic is received into the local church by the elders because it's a recognition of a gift and a grace that they carry. Okay, makes sense. Because in a perfect scenario, every church would have been planted by an apostle and elders would have been prayed into office by an apostle, right? But that's a perfect scenario. But almost that's you know, many, 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 many churches where that's not the case. And so a church is being called to bring as a movement churches into greater health. And so when we work with churches and we go into them, often the eldership team have no relationship with the apostolic. And so we've got to introduce them to this gift, for example, will. And then Will doesn't work into that church because Will says he must. Will works into that church because there's a recognition of his life, the grace in his life, and he needs that grace. What is that grace? Well, that's Haley knows. In 1 Corinthians 3, right, Haley, it says that Paul, Paul, and he's citing Paul, who was an apostle with him, he says, and he says, I am a master builder. Okay, so a man who can carry the apostolic grace, he's not just building buildings. He's got an ability to build the church spiritually upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, which is that word of either rock or sand. An apostle comes into a church and he goes, three points, do you know how much you've got great worship? You've got some great fellowship. Shoot, you are lacking in the area of, um, I don't know, you can pick out a particular area of doctrine. And he can go, it's sand, it's sandy, building on sand. He's got to adjust. And so he works with the elders firstly, then with the leadership team, and then the elders work with the members of the church to bring alignment to where they need to repent and false doctrine or whatever it might be. Make sense? I've got one more example of what an apostle will do. I love it. I, I made this example, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> but years ago, when God was speaking to me about this, leading a church, I was like, you know, in Cape Town, we are particularly this type of year, what wind blows almost all the time? Is the southeast, southeast of South. And so an apostle is able to come into a church and go, do you even realize the wind is blowing? And I'm like, no, I've lived in Cape Town my whole life. I don't even see a wind anymore. Okay, well, there's a wind blowing. What is that wind? Well, that wind is actually the culture of the day. It's blowing into the life of the church. Oh, really? I didn't even realize. So he begins to identify things like that. And then he goes, do you realize if you let this wind keep on blowing, it's going to destroy the church? Or, my mind, it's going to destroy your car. Because the southeast wind blows, it blows soft over the city and it corrodes. So we can't see it, but this city blasts because the southeast will blow. And so if we let the winds of doctrine or the winds of culture blow into the church, we might not see it, but the fruit of it will be corruption. It will start to rust away. One day you'll open your boot like our boots in winter. We lifted up our spare wheels and we're like the whole sun was rusted. We hadn't realized because there was a leak in the car. And so an apostle is able to come and say, didn't you see light? And then he tells you what's going on and works with the elders. Make sense? <laughs> it's such a bad example. Truth in the ego. Now I know why everything's resting at my, my home. I thought I was just going to live near the sea. What about that wind? 
Didn't Lord, didn't Lord say it's us, we can move mountains? Can we not stop the wind as well? We don't doubt we can hold that wind back, eh? <laughs> at least for a few weeks. But um, I thought maybe some examples, doctrine and discipline and direction, maybe one of each would be really good. There's so many examples, but let me read from Acts 20. So the scripture, Acts 20, 28 to 30. Jenny's going to try to follow her. She's got them all there waiting patiently. But I'll read... I might be on the ESP, so it'll be different, but it goes like this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Okay, so a very clear warning, and there's many warnings of what may happen. And uh, I think maybe to bring a, a couple of examples that I've been through, I know Ross has probably been through several, but there was a, a little book that started floating around in the life of Greenpoint. Um, actually, I haven't read it, I don't feel I need to read it, but the book got into the hands of some of our people, and it started to create conversation out there of, uh, let's Reconsider how church should look, how it's too much structure in the church. Uh, you know, we have apostles, we have master builders. Uh, there is structure, but it's actually boundaries that the Lord's put in place throughout Scripture, which you cannot avoid. You know, in these, in these um, ways of building, in, his, in the master plan, the way that the Lord has built his church is what allows the grace to flow, what allows his spirit to move. But these particular friends uh, just felt that everything should be thrown out, the, 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 the bath water, you know, the baby and the bath water, and actually started to, 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 to drop this, um, what was it, uh, it was false, false teaching. And it wasn't done in a way that was honorable or brought to us and said, let's grapple with this. It was at coffee shops and dropped here. And we started to see people veering away from the life of God. And so we had discussions and uh, fortunately, uh, they were already deciding to move on their own and go away and actually do their own little gathering and be on their own and be with the Lord and be with the Lord in a coffee shop, two or three people in a coffee shop type of thing. And so what would have happened if that had continued or had become a problem within our household, we would have had to call that out in front of you and actually ask those people to keep quiet and to to leave us if they don't see that they are wrong and they don't want to change. They exited before that happened. But the interesting thing for me is that we, the very next Sunday, had Andrew just coming to visit an MC and uh, asked him, look, could you change tact and just, so he had a quick look through this book, this author and this new revelation, and he came in here as an apostolic, graced uh, believer, and he built into us that day and tore apart some of the key concepts of that book aligned us back with scripture and called it false, called it for what it is, and we were aligned again as a people. And it was a beautiful example. It could have become more ugly uh, in a sense, but it didn't. But uh, it just shows how dangerous a Christian book on the bookshelf can be. That's like, and you hear Andrew saying things like that, and sometimes you can think, oh, this is radical, you know. But to be honest, I'm quite weary of reading books, not all books, but Christian books. I'm more wary about reading those, to be honest. Just because we 
from amongst us and from within you, wolves will arise, wanting to twist truth and take people on their own way. Okay. Uh, and then discipline is where it comes, comes to a place where we actually need to discipline somebody who's gone wonky in their doctrine or in their character or in their ways. And this happened uh, a lot. <laughs> so false teaching is a danger in the early church. Um, and so is willful sin. So if an elder calls out that, where are you going with your teaching? Well, this is now sin. Repent and change. If that person doesn't and continues down that road, then they are now in willful sin and they're going on and uh, in a, on a dangerous path. And if they continue to, we have to then exercise discipline and ask you not to have anything to do with that person. I'm sure Ross and Lee have got examples of that, but we, very early days of joining City Bowl congregation, we uh, arrived at church one night, Tara and I, and we saw something that we'd never seen before. Suddenly, one of the elders and his wife were not there anymore. And the past two or three weeks, that elder had been preaching. And usually, Ryan, sorry, I'm just getting excited. Um, Ryan would preach a lot, and the other elders would sometimes preach, but this particular man had taken about three Sundays in a row. And for all we knew, we, we, we didn't pick up anything wrong with what was shared. But we were wondering actually where our leader was, you know. And uh, then we came back on a particular Sunday. And there were Andrew had come and Kim Muller had come. And there were about seven or eight elders from Russell, from other congregations. Oh, this is cool. Something's happened tonight. Celebration. It wasn't so much a celebration. It was the overseers of our souls that come in to align us to make sure that not one person would be lost that night. Because the particular couple were very influential and a wonderful home group that actually touched and shepherded and raised the majority of the church. But something in the man and his wife's heart had gone wonky. They wanted uh, to lead the church and to take a congregation. That's what God had said. It's time now for us to lead our own work with our own family. And uh, he was a fairly new believer and has a great call in his life, very gifted, strong, strong gift in the Lord. But none of the elders had felt the timing was right and that if he went for it, if he would be grasping for it, it wasn't of the Lord, it wasn't of the Spirit. He didn't listen to that counsel. They then got him again before all the elders and said, do you see that not one person in this room feels that this is the Lord and if you went for this now, you would now be going down a, a willful road. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Terence is reminding me of another great point. He actually wanted to actually not only lead his own work, but take over that very congregation from our leader. Right. And uh, maybe that's you know, three weeks in a row we didn't see our leader. That's what was happening. And remember, our leader, Ryan, was a young, grace-gifted leader of about 24 at the time. And uh, that's part of the reason why we joined the church. We could see the grace of God on a young man. This is the Lord. We want to be here. This is something supernatural and beautiful. It doesn't necessarily have to be the older man leading, you know. But this older man was obviously struggling to submit to a very much younger person. And that younger person, by the way, Ryan, has now become one of my most significant gifts Andrew said it one of those Thursday nights, probably if Andrew, if the Lord had to take Andrew now, who would take over the movement? And he said, it would probably be Ryan Kingsley right now. This is the same pastor of 24. He's probably only about 30 now. No, he's about late 30s now. But he moves in, in, in 
so much maturity. But nevertheless, that was sorted out. That situation was sorted out. And I think we only lost one person by the grace of God, who was the sister-in-law of him. So him and his wife and the sister left us. And uh, it was very, very difficult from that point onwards to pastor and shepherd people whose hearts were torn, who didn't understand this is too strong. And we lost friendship and we lost loved ones, which was the hardest thing. It was a break. And so easily that thing can happen where you want something so badly and you stubbornly refuse to listen to godly counsel. And when you're a leader, the Bible says you strike a shepherd and he scatter sheep scattered. Fortunately, we didn't have anyone scattered, but man, that created so much work and so much chaos. And um, it was just an example of discipline that we had in our, many of us will remember that.
He said, you need to start. You've got to get started. And so he rebuked me over that much. He said, you've got to repent to the church, you've got to repent to the team, the vision team, I have to do that. That's your repent of it, you know. It's like, you know, I've got that time. And then he took up to the congregation and tried to start to reach stronger. Because he was saying, if you don't get stronger, stronger, there's going to be problems. That's also where the role of apostolic is. It's a safety for you as well. Where they come in and are able to speak into our lives and fix the heart. Yeah, you know, direction is probably the, the third D, doctrine, discipline. Direction, you know, I think what takes up most of our days, besides coffee, Ross, is thinking about the number of you with directional decisions. At the moment, I don't even want to make a list because I'm just going to get snowmaned about that list. I try the Holy Spirit, Monday's here. Who this week is the most pressing? Where, who do we speak to this week? Because there's a lot of direction. A lot of people weighing up, considering things. Doesn't actually matter if you're young or old, married or not. Although I think with you singles, bless you, love you. There's probably more directional things that come to singles way. In a sense, because once family is a little bit more rooted, you can do a little bit less with your life because you've got kids. But with singles, it's like yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the wind blows, and then it's like yeah, the wind blows, and then you don't know. But you guys, you keep us busy with direction, and let me tell you. And I want to say this, that we don't have every answer for your life decisions. Marketplace decisions, where you're going to live, should I marry or not, is this guy doing all right or not. But we want to partner with you to try and hear the Lord's voice. Ultimately, our role is to help Germany, let's talk. You need to hear the Lord and find faith for what you're facing. This is how you find this voice. This is how we've walked in the past. Look at scripture, pray, and trust that he will firstly speak to you or you. And we would, if there's a major red flag, we know it's shout, alarm bells, don't do it, you know. But to, I think the biggest challenge I find is if you come to us looking for a green light, it's very difficult because the green light needs to come from you finding it in the Lord in faith, and there can be a witness. But often what the Lord does with us is, is there's a red light. So if you ever hear a, I don't think so, a red light from Amarius or Mark, any elder, you won't really know that that's, be very careful with that, because it means we are seeing something on a stop sign, beware. And I think that's more what we try and search for in direction. I just want to say on that point, when Neil goes, I'm not sure that means he's going, don't do it. Because he's so possible. But Amarius will just tell him, don't do it. And uh, I thank I thank the Lord for team because in the four of us we actually are quite different, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it's obvious. Eh? <laughs> but if you really get to like in the depths uh, on what we stand on on, on doctrine and truth, uh, can we? It's not that we disunify; it's that our nu- nuances will be different. So where one may be a little bit more open-handed, maybe myself. Sometimes Terence says I'm, I can be a little bit vague, get to the point. She's very different to me. Maurice will say, if you come to Maurice and say, like, I think I, think I might have a job here, or I might move to, back to Joburg, or... He said, but if the Lord's put you here, he's put you here, right? And you go, yes. So if he's put you here, then why isn't it even a discussion? He's put you here. And so he tells you to go there, then you stay here, and you serve. Yeah, where he is, and you know what? I've learned so much from Morris. 
because I agree with that. It's biblical. And it's, if our life's priority, if we're building on the rock of Jesus Christ, then this family and what we've got here in this gathering today and how we bring the kingdom to earth through this local church, our, this is our life priority. More than anything else. I was in the marketplace for over 20 years and I loved what I did and I was dedicated to what I did. But it was never, ever for me close as a priority to living out this. I can influence in the marketplace and yes, I need to earn a salary and I need to be a life there. But that's kind of where it ends. This is very true. So when you're making these directional decisions about moving and jobs, and please give Morris a call. <laughs> no, I'm teasing you, Morris, office chair. But work with us as a team. And what was wonderful about someone like Reed is he seeked counsel from all four of us two, three, four times over. So he got good, he got a good width of counsel. And, uh, and so I think that's very helpful for us. Okay. Uh, well, uh, so let me, let's jump. So four twelve, just. I'm going to do this in, in like one line. <laughs> yeah. 412, just in a nutshell. Uh, previous movement Andrew was part of was very much focused on Ephesians 4.11, which was all about the gifts. And it had become very heavily focused on just those gifts. But the very next verse, verse 12, is about what the gifts were given to actually do, which was to equip all of us and the saints to go out and participate and be involved. So one of the key things we're going to do as your leaders is to activate you and enable you and call out what God has for you to do. And that's based on our movement called 412. Okay. <coughs> and it's chaotic outside. Kids' church has just arrived outside. So I'm going to ask Ross in a moment how we actually build unity. He's going to touch on some points from a, an amazing sermon he did years ago, which we had a look at. But firstly, just to say, what is biblical unity, number one? Uh, firstly, biblical unity is how you and I, all of us, are connected to our head, to Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, number one. And the second point, you, biblical unity is also then how we also connect to one another. So it's not only us connecting to our Lord Jesus, that must be proper and right and true, but also how we connect to one another. And within the field that he's put us in. And within the local congregation that he's put us in. So that's the framework. Um, but Ross, maybe you want to touch on all three points if you get to kick us off. Yeah, so just, I think again, that was one of the main points behind this morning. I think that's the picture of the tractors. Because if we, if those tractors were all flying through in the same direction, we kind of know their name, every part of the body doing its work, in a line, the kingdom can advance. It'd be like, we could think of the opposite of that and have like a spaghetti type situation on a field. You know, we get like one tractor leading the way and all other tractors behind are like playing this type of game. And you get, it's just kind of just chaos. You know, the field's not going to be, it's just the right thing's not going to happen at the right time. It needs to be moving in unity forward together as a people. Um, yeah, and so you know, how do we build unity? Well, especially if you're looking at answering that question through elders and specifically um, and the three functions we have. Firstly, that thing of discipline, like I said, is actually discipling. And underneath that is really a unity of love. So that's why we disciple one another out of love, out of care, out of relationship. It's so that we can love them better and we can love each other better. And so that's what this is all about because one of Neil's favorite scriptures is John 17. 
as we love one another. We reveal in who he is and it's a witness to the world. And I think especially here, I mean, in every church, actually, it's good, especially uh, to be here. In this part of the city, the witness of our unity, the way we can be such a diverse group of people together, speaking the same language, loving the same God, etc., etc., is a powerful witness to the community, yeah, to the right. principality and the powers as well. Oh, so, we, yeah, how do you put unity? Pretty. Hell was especially called to build the unity of love. Um, and it's, yeah, it's why we trust that in the life of the church there would be genuine relationship established and that we'd get to a point where none of us feel like we have to live in the dark, that all of us would have the liberty to live in the light. Okay, the freedom to be able to bring things, the worst of who we are into the light. And like Andrew's talked about many times before, there's nothing, you have done nothing that you think is so bad that if you share it with us, you will be appalled Because actually, we're all human beings, we've all experienced life. Life is just hard and difficult and messy. And there is no mess that you carry that if you were to share it with us, it's going to make an instant problem. It's not, because we carry the heart of God. We're called to carry that towards you, and we're called to carry that towards each other. So having said that, if you be sitting here this morning with things that are hidden in the dark, I want to say there's a way out. There is a way out. You know, 1 John 1 verse 7 says that. So we have fellowship with one another, truly have fellowship with one another. We've got to live in the light. We can't have true fellowship if we're living in the darkness. Yeah. So that's what we call to elders. And sometimes God, that's why the gifts and body as well, sometimes God will add a person who's not just prophetic to a congregation, but who's a seer. So a prophet is someone who's able to speak things over people often. A seer will feel things. Karen will look like this. She'll feel things. And she doesn't make on even articulate it sometimes, but she'll just be like, there's something wrong. That's a seer type gift in the prophetic, which is able to bring darkness into life. Not to condemn, but always to love. So that we can walk together in greater love and unity with one another. Okay, so the unity of love. Um, then, yeah, we call, we call to also that was a unity of love. Secondly, direction is really about a unity of purpose. Um, and as Neil just said now about Ephesians 4 11 and 12, the thing that we carry deepest in our hearts is that every person in our church, that all the saints would be all in all the time. Okay. That is what we carry, that's really, so for me, that's a summary of what I carry, for, for the, the unity of purpose we're supposed to have, let me say that again, all the saints would be all in, all the time, and that, I, I realized that when I came into Joshian 12 years ago, so I had many, I, you know, I studied at Bible college, I was here in the mission field, I thought I knew some stuff, and I came in and I saw God's heart for church, and I thought, and I realized, oh my gosh, in order for me to truly live this, there's so much of what I felt precious that I'm going to have to just forget about and lay aside. And if God ever does anything with that again one day, then awesome. But I just have to lay aside dreams, desires, ambitions, in order to commit myself to a purpose, direction, where we are going as a people and as a, as, as a body that is called to reflect Him. Um, yeah, so unity, and I don't have a specific example that comes to mind there. But I do know that by nature, um, 
often we want to carry little things on the side. We're committed to the body, but we carry little things we're passionate about. Yeah. And I think both of us have a journey where actually those little things on the side we had to crucify in order to be fully committed to the service of what God is doing to make sure body. And that means that you give your heart Now, one of the things that really, uh, thinking back to when Taryn and I joined Josh Taylor was City Bowl meeting in Seapoint, a little bit smaller than our group here today, about four, four, like 50 people. And um, the thing that struck us most was that there was this, I couldn't articulate it, I didn't really know about the priesthood of all believers. And that's what one of the things that 412 as the apostolic team want to build is that we are the priesthood. We were in the Great Commission between Matthew 28 as our overall mission in the Lord is to make disciples of the nations and go. But with but within that we've got some very specifics. And uh, here the reason for Ephesians 412 is that we would all get on with the work that uh, Jesus gave us to do. And we saw a mobilized community all getting involved all bringing words, all praying for one another, all serving, all packing chairs. It was not one person just slacking. It probably was, but the wave was so, this is intense. This is what we want to long for. And I remember when I said that to Ryan, he said, well, that's great that you have fallen in love with that, you know, but I want you now to remember when things get tough over the years, that you will always fight for that in your own life. And I didn't know one day that my life would be serving you guys and also in the leadership capacity. God did that. Um, and to hold onto that very thing that He showed me. So big in my heart is that we continue to grow as a priesthood, every part doing its work. All the time, yeah. all of us, all in full throttle, our life's priority. Yeah. Bringing His kingdom through the church and, um, and not let things get in the way uh, of that. And, uh, and, and so that, that would be one of the things that uh, people ask me what is, what is the thing that you would die for. But I think. On the other side of what you shared, Ross, is um, this thing of uh, um, unity of mind, yes, sure, doctrine, yeah. but unity of purpose, I think, is the biggest challenge I find. Yeah. Because these days, everyone has an opinion. <laughs> and I, one of the most beautiful things about stepping into an elders' meeting or an elders' camp, Ross will know, is that you get into that venue and there's this beautiful smell. It's, it's the most beautiful smell. And you smell it stronger when you're with the elders or an elders camp than you, than you smell anywhere else. So you, you run in there and you smell it and you go, oh. and it's the smell of death. It's the smell of men and women who have died to their opinions, their purposes, even the things they maybe thought God had given them to do, to lead a church. I died to that and I serve where Andrew and the team see me to serve. Maybe it's not to lead a church ever again in my life countless stories of those people. And uh, when I see that, and when we see that, we go, this is where God puts his blessing. Because it's real unity of mind, actually, and purpose. And, 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 that, and that thing, if someone goes, well, what is the thing that has allowed God to move by his grace in you guys? Like that thing. I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's no superstars. You walk in and it's men and women who've learned to die to dreams. And we've been on that journey and and, and, and that's our journey as your eldership team. And it's actually the journey God has for every single person. It's not to say he might not lift up that passion of yours again. But he wants to give it to you when you probably, pro- probably learn to die in him. And when that thing is totally dead, it doesn't matter if he would ever give it to you again. That's when he, the Lord would 
decide to actually give it back to you. And so that's the journey that uh, we're all on, and it's a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful smell. I know it's death, but it actually does smell beautiful. Because there's no ambition. There's no grasping. There's no holding on to my thing. There's no, my thing is greater than yours. There's a submission, mutual submission to the Lord and to one another. And you know what happens? You come to that place, and you, can, you find that the presence of God is following that and wants to be in that place. And our, our role is to build that wherever we go, in our communities, in our community groups, in our local, and it's a fight, it's a constant fight. Because we're actually fighting against the, the opposite of the spirit. It's, a, it's, a un, it's, a, it's like, a, you know, have you ever tried to walk uh, up a, a backwards up a moving elevator? Have you ever tried to walk up an elevator, not an escalator? Have you ever tried to walk up the down escalator? When last did you do that? What happens? What happens if you stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens if you stop walking up the down escalator? You just go down. So that's that's our role as believers. Is you go to that escalator that's coming down, and you start walking, and you never stop walking. If you stop, you're dead. And that's the constant walk. I find of like dying to our dreams, and dying to our purposes, and submitting them to the Lord and to one another. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're gonna touch on it. Yeah, but, um, as you talk, you think God is so on this side of the church, this particular point. Yeah. And I was reminded of something you put on Facebook yesterday. I don't often go on Facebook, but I just But someone put up a Bonhoeffer quote. Bonhoeffer yeah. was famous for sun. And one of them is Christ with me, come and die. So that is the essence of discipleship. What it means to be a believer of Jesus Christ for you. Come, come to me. Die. Baptism, go into the ground, come under water, come back out and be faced with Christ and come and die. Yeah. And before I was willing to let before I was um, well, I thought it was willing to to approach me and say, like, hey, would you be interested in something? This is before we date or anything like that. I wrote you a letter. And in that letter was this quote saying, if we're gonna if we're gonna go on a journey together, we're gonna be willing to die. Yeah. Okay? And I don't <laughs> I want to be known. I want to, you know, all those I want. And actually, in the life of the body, it's like that's got to die. Because Romans 12, verse 5 says, I'm no longer just a member of Christ. You know? I'm a member of or a member of one of another. One of another. I'm not going to die and live for myself to attract to this God and start driving all over the place. But I'm willing to die. True. Let him do the work he needs to do me. Remain. On course for what he's called us to the people, the kingdom will advance. No matter what place I may find myself in, it's crucial for us. So I think God's on that for us. Even if Asher's picture earlier, there's something the Lord's like needing to die, needing to die so that new, new and powerful supernatural life can come through. 
You know how filter F is. Can we stand? Thanks, Ross. That was really, really awesome. And thank you for your patience for listening to two of us and trying to get it into this time. But um, Bianca had shared a word earlier. Ross touched on uh, the scripture about uh, light and true fellowship is as we bring into the light. Now, she had a moment in the week where she brought something in the light to a friend. Uh, she said it was actually quite a small thing in her mind, but as she did it in obedience to scripture, God did something in Bianca's heart and brought her to just more freedom and more joy in this very week. And so I felt for us, just as we finish, it be wonderful for us to break into uh, finding someone in the, in the venue and to just go to someone. And here's two points to make it a handle for you to practically hold on. The one would be, excuse me, is to go to somebody and uh, following even what the Lord did on Wednesday night of worship, is just to really go to someone and if there's something you need to bring into the light, it's unforgiveness, if it's an area of sin, if it's an area of doubt or lack of trust, something that you've been concealing that you know the Lord is putting his finger on even now on your heart and saying, don't leave today without revealing what that is. To me, and as you do it to your father, do it to somebody else. And uh, get life on that and get light and healing on that. So you can find somebody before you go to do that and ask the person to then pray with you. Okay, so that'll be one thing that I really feel we should do today. Um, and the second one is, as Ross shared, if there's something of a purpose that you carry, something that you've struggled to let go, you don't know if the Lord's going to give that back to you or ever do anything with it. Why don't you bring that into the light today if you've never brought that into the light? You feel it's something that you carry heavily and it burdens you. You think about it a lot. You don't know if God's ever going to give you that dream or give you that country or give you that thing, whatever that is. You've not brought that into the light ever before or maybe for a long, not for a long time. That thing can weigh heavily on us and it can drag us away from the unity that the Lord wanted here with us. Just bring that into the light. Just find somebody. Just, just speak it out. This is this thing. I actually know the Lord wants me to die to this, but I'm struggling, or I need help, or I need someone to pray with me. Would you do that? Can you close our eyes? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for help with this. So Jesus, we recognize that all of this that we have shared, Lord, is, it's a work of your grace, and it's the strength and the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit that brings us to these places. We cannot do it alone. We can respond in obedience. We can bring something into the light. We can speak to a friend. Even that, to a degree, requires your Holy Spirit's prompting and courage and boldness. And let's pray before this service. I ask now again, Lord, that you would give courage and boldness to every single one of us to, to be obedient now in this time, to follow what you say in Scripture about bringing into the light so that we can have true fellowship with one another. So would you help us, Holy Spirit, in the depths of our heart, to put, put a light right now on our hearts. Show us. Show us a trusted relationship where we can go and speak to somebody even now. And I ask that this would be done to the glory of your name and the glory of your church and for the extension of your beautiful kingdom, Lord Jesus. We want to serve you and love you in these ways. So would you come and help us? Your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 So go for it, guys. Let's just end off in that way and just grab somebody and speak. Okay.